Hey, good morning, everybody. Great to be with you. I hope you're really well. We're going to be carrying on um, looking into Philippians this morning. But before we do that, just a, a quick reminder that we have got our city groups coming up. We're going to be looking together through a book by Alan Scott called Scattered Servants. Really challenging, really encouraging, really provoking book. And um, that we feel it's not just going to be a good book to do, um, but actually it's, it's really prophetically important in terms of actually where do we want to be going as church communities in Manchester and Leicester. So I want to encourage you and um, sign up as soon as that's open. Sign up really quick and get involved with that would be great. Also, um, we're going to be taking a journey through Lent, if you would like to join us with that, um, in the Word and with prayer. Um, so again, sign up um, will be coming available and just really encourage you um, to get involved with us and journey with us. Um, but let's go, um, let's go back into Philippians. We're going to be in chapter 2. Um, I'm going to read from verse 12 um, and then we'll dive in. So it says this, Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order for, to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. All right. Listen, whenever we're reading um, through particularly the letters um, and we come to them, the writers use that phrase, therefore, um, it's really important that we look back to what they wrote just before. Because essentially they're saying, because of what I've just said, now this. Okay, this is why and I keep we're going to say it and keep saying it. Just encourage you to take time to read Philippians um, as a whole. It was a letter to be read as a whole. And obviously, you know, we, we read it in sections and we're unpacking it as church communities in sections. But, but it's good to think of the whole. Um, and so essentially what Paul's saying is therefore. So we need to just momentarily think back um, to what he wrote just previously, which is what Sam was unpacking with us last week um, uh, about Jesus. Jesus as our, the model citizen, if you like. And he finishes that out saying you know, that Jesus has exo been exalted to the highest place, that Jesus is Lord. And one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. So because of that, because of Jesus, now this, now everything else um, that Paul writes. So he's saying, listen, remember, because Jesus is Lord and because we as his followers, are our allegiance is to him. And remember in that Roman culture and context they were in, that that, was, like, that would have really, they would have pricked their ears up of that um, because it was actually quite subver subversive because you know, in that context, Caesar was referred to as Lord and your allegiance was to Caesar and the empire. So, you know, so the gospel is saying something completely contrary. And you know, if our allegiance is to Jesus, um, our understanding is, okay, well, if we're citizens of this new kingdom, there's a whole load of privilege that come with that. Um, but, but what Jesus modeled to us is that you know, his equality with God, you know, he, didn't, he didn't use that to his own advantage. He laid down his privileges. He laid down his rights in order to serve. And, and that's the responsibility of, of being a citizen of this new kingdom. And so this is what Paul's saying. Remember all of that. That's the frame, if you like, because of that, now this. And he goes on saying, um, you know, always obey, essentially, um, and again, all the time, you know, our, our obedience to the word of God, our, you know, our allegiance to Jesus isn't just, you know, because a particular leader is present, you know, for the Philippians, it wasn't just because Paul was with them. So actually, even his, in his absence, even more so then, just keep doing the thing, not because Paul's there or not there, but because Jesus is Lord. Um, 
And then he comes to this brilliant phrase where it talks about um, our salvation being worked out with fear and trembling. And that's nothing about being afraid, but it's, it's more with awe and reverence, like soberly considering um, just the amazingness of who Jesus is and what he's called us to. So taking that seriously, um, but there's this dynamic. And listen, this would be a whole sermon in and of itself. But you know, essentially he's saying that, that salvation has to be worked out. And he says it, this, God works it in us and we work it out. It's that partnership. And we've got to have a real um, an understanding and a commitment to both of those things. Um, actually, God works in us. And I love it that it says he works in us both to will and to do. Um, so in my head, it's like, actually, so God is working in me so that I want to and I'm able to fulfill his purpose, right? So I'm to will and to do that. I want to do what he wants me to do and and I'm able. Both of those things, so amazing. And I, you know, I just think that's one of the most stunning things of God's kindness to us, that he doesn't just, he doesn't just call us to live a certain way. He doesn't just set a standard and say, this is how I want you to live. He also does the work in us so that we want to and we're able to, you know, to give us desires that increasingly line up with what he wants. This is, this is the new kingdom. And this is one of the things that was promised in Ezekiel 36, um, when it's, it's taught in you know, its promising promising and prophesying about this new kingdom, this new covenant relationship is coming. It says this, um, God's promise is, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and will give you a heart of flesh. And listen to this, verse 27. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. He's going to work in us. He's going to move us to actually follow his laws. I love that. That's the work that he does in us, but it has to have an out. God is committed to doing that work in us, moving us by his Holy Spirit to want and to be able to follow his laws, to obey what he's saying. But there has to be an out. And this is why Paul says, so that, in verse 15, so that you may become blameless and pure, shining like stars. So it's, therefore, is because of what I've just said, because of Jesus, then I need you to do this so that, so there's an, there's an out, there's an outworking um, that has to be done. And, and what Paul is saying is, listen, the Philippian church committing to that journey, committing to working out their salvation, to, to shining like stars, to not grumbling, complaining, that gives Paul incredible encouragement. He said it gives him cause, and no matter what, even if he is being poured out, he's like, I am going to rejoice. I am going to be glad because you're committing to that process. And um, so one of the specific things, this is what I really want to focus on this morning, is one of the specific ways that we work out our salvation isn't just in what we do, in a sort of technical rule keeping, following the laws. It's actually the way that we do it. And the specific thing that Paul highlights in this passage is that we do things without grumbling and without arguing, like without complaining. Um, you know, we, I think as Brits, we're, we're not always that um, comfortable with that. You know, the number, I'm sure, you know, sending a meal back or kind of returning something that making a complaint, we're not always that great at it. Um, but I was thinking about this, you know, us making, being a complaining people, making complaints. And I came across some excellent complaints. Um, so these are, these are genuine complaints that were made um, in restaurants. One person said, um, the plate color clashed with my food and it was entirely the wrong color for my Instagram post. Someone else sent back their chicken because they'd asked for it medium rare. Someone else complained um, that they had to send their fish back because it was staring at them and putting them off their meal. 
Um, and someone else complained that the ice was too cold. It really should have been left out for a few minutes before serving. Or how about these? Here are some complaints that holiday companies received. Um, the beach was too sandy. No one told us there would be fish in the sea and my children were startled. This is a great one. It took, nine, it took us nine hours to fly home from Jamaica to England and it only took the Americans three hours to get home. Someone else complained that the animals in the, new look, in the zoo looked very sad and it made our children cry. Couldn't they ch train the animals to smile? There's some wonderful complaints. I mean, there's an, a high amount of pretty, stu um, pretty stupid people around. But, um, but there are some complaints, right? We are, I think we can be really quick to complain. And what Paul is saying is um, living in the new kingdom, you know, with our allegiance to Jesus, actually needs to look different. Let me read you the verse 14. This is the amplified version, which kind of pulls out a little bit more of the meaning. It says this, do all things without grumbling and fault finding and complaining against God and questioning and doubting amongst yourselves, right? So grumbling, finding fault, complaining specifically against God and questioning and doubting and second guessing. He's like saying, and here's the challenge, do everything without those things, right? Not just um, the things that it's not just don't do the things that you find easy, that are kind of what you want to do, that line up with your schedule and your preferences. It's not that. It's like do everything, even the things which are uncomfortable, feel unreasonable, and are not in line with what you want, that actually mess up your plans for the day. Do everything without grumbling. That's a really high standard. That's really challenging. But what he's going after is, listen, it's not just what we do, it's how we do it. Right? It's, it's not just technically following the rules. It's our attitude as we do that. Right? Um, and so it's not just that he wants us to, to hold on to the word of life, but, that, and that, but we do it begrudgingly, complaining, you know, muttering under our breath. Actually, that we do it without any of that. Um, those of you who have kids, I'm sure you know, there, there's a world of difference between you know, asking my lovely teenagers um, to do the washing up. That's their job after tea. And then, um, then doing it but with, a, oh, I did it yesterday. Why do I have to do it every day? It's not fair. To be fair, they rarely do that. They're really good kids. But like the, you know, as a parent, right, that begrudging, complaining, doing what you're asked really blesses no one. And it is, it's a world of difference with that. Hey, yes, I'll do that for you, mum. And this is what Paul's going after. Don't just do what God's asking you to do. The way that you do it and your attitude as you do it really, really matters. You know, if we were going to do um, really briefly a, a case study in complaining, we don't need to look any further than, um, than Israel. Um, so if you look, and we're not, for time, we're absolutely not going to be able to read through it, but take some time this week and have a look in Exodus um, from chapters 14 to 17. So this is just immediately as, um, if you know the story, Israel are, you know, finally Pharaoh says, yes, this whole nation of Israel can go, they can leave. So Pharaoh's let them go um, and they travel across the desert and they come up against the Red Sea. Um, and Pharaoh has a change of heart. He changes his mind and sends out his army. So you've got, you know, this huge hundreds and hundreds and thousands of the people of Israel standing with the Red Sea in front of them um, and an army coming up behind them. And understandably, they are freaked out. Um, and if you read, they, are, they, are, they complain and they grumble and they say, you know, why on earth have you brought us here, Moses? What's going to happen? Um, and, you know, you know the story. God miraculously parts the sea and they walk through onto dry land. Chap skip on one chapter, okay? And this is and then three days later. So after that miraculous intervention of God, three days later, they've been traveling through the desert um, and they haven't found any water. And 
and are understandably struggling, right? No water for three days is a big deal. Um, so they come to this place, they find water, but it's bitter, they can't drink it. And again, their response is, um, if you read it, they start grumbling, they start complaining, they start whining at Moses. You know, why have you brought us here? We're going to die out here. Um, and, and God says to Moses, throw a branch into the water and the water miraculously becomes sweet, good to drink, and they're okay again, right? Skip on one more chapter, Exodus chapter 16. This is one month later um, and they're hungry this time. They haven't got anything to eat. Again, in the desert, hungry, that's challenging, right? That's a real need, um, but their response is the same. The Bible's really like explicitly says that they grumble, that they complain. Um, and again, God comes through for them. And he, you know, there's this story, they miraculously, uh, there's manna, there's bread that is, um, uh, is available every morning. And then quails come into the camp every evening. So they have bread in the morning, meat in the evening every day. Skip on one more chapter. Um, you're getting the picture here, right? Exodus chapter 17, they're thirsty again. It's the water issue again. Um, Exactly the same thing. They grumble and they complain. And this time um, Moses strikes the rock with his staff and water miraculously pours out. Um, but if, if you, I would encourage you, take some time. If you read those accounts, read that story, that Israel's, Israel's response at a point of need or struggle is instantaneously and consistently to complain and to grumble. They complain amongst themselves, you know, and they, and they really complain towards Moses particularly. They, really, they're grumbling against God, but, you know, Moses is sort of the representative. And it's, it's consistently, why have you brought us out here? You know, we're going to die out here of thirst. We'd have been better off back in Egypt. They consistently say that, you know, we, we should have stayed there. You know, what is God doing? Why is he doing it? And just straight away, this, and again, if you think back to that, um, amplified version of this grumbling, fault-finding, questioning all the time. That It's like that's their knee-jerk reaction to challenge. Um, so why does that matter? Like, what, what can we learn from that? You know, I, I think the problem was, you know, they were so quick to complain because they'd forgotten and lost sight of two things. Firstly, where they'd come from. And secondly, what God had said in terms of where he was taking them, um, right? They had, they had this really sort of warped and twisted memory. You know, they, more than once they say, we should have just stayed in Egypt. And you're like, well, you were in slave labor, you know, oppressive, brutal, violent slave labor for generations. You know, you'd, an entire generation of baby boys had just been murdered. Um, and and it, there's a hilarious bit. If you read this account in Numbers, I think it's Numbers chapter 11, and they genuinely are waxing lyrical about we should have stayed in Egypt because there they we had melons and we had leeks. And, and you're like, but there was slave labor and infanticide. But they're, what they're talking about is, well, yes, but we had leeks and melons. Like their memory of where they'd come from was really warped. So, and they'd, what they'd forgotten was what God had done already. And sometimes like, you know, in their very, very recent past, three days after him, you know, miraculously opening up a sea and making a way for them, they're thirsty and they're complaining again. A matter of weeks later, have, you know, they've forgotten, lost sight of him parting the sea, miraculously providing water. Well, they're hungry and they're complaining again. They've lost sight of where they've come from and just what God has done to take them from where they are, to bring them to where they are right now, right? So that's the first thing that makes us super vulnerable to complaining is we lose sight of where we've come from. The second thing is that they'd, they'd absolutely um, lost sight of um, God's promise for where he was taking. He said, I will take you to a promised land flowing with milk. And he'd, he'd made them a promise. 
and he'd, he'd consistently intervened for them, but they'd, they'd just lost sight of that. So their, their perspective was all wrong, right? They're, they're complaining, they're fault-finding, they're arguing, they're questioning, and was because they were in, solely focused on where they were and the, the immediate lack, the immediate struggle, and they completely lost sight of you know, what God had done in the past and what he'd promised about the future. And so their immediate struggle was was just so much bigger than God's hand in the past or his word towards them in the future. And listen, we can do the same thing, right? When we when our focus is in, in the immediate, we can lose sight of those things as well. But complaining and grumbling, which I'm sure started with the one or two, but listen, you, you know, it's toxic and it abs- it's infectious. It spreads. And I don't know if you've ever been in a workplace, you have someone who's really critical or grumbles or complains. It just pulls the atmosphere down and it spreads to this whole generation. I think, I wonder, I don't know this, but I can't help wondering that actually their, their inability to keep themselves from complaining, it's like they're, they're knee-jerk reaction to grumble and complain. Um, I just wonder if that did, isn't a massive part of what re- opened the door to their, the, you know, their idolatry and all these things that unraveled. And essentially, you know, this, their perspective and what they did with that, actually, it kept, a whole generation died in the desert, right? Grumbling and complaining keeps us stuck in the middle, like it keeps us in no man's land because we've lost sight of where God's brought us from and we've forgotten what he's promised about where he's taking us. And we, so we just stay stuck. We stay stuck in no man's land and it, it opens us up to so much unraveling. And for, for Israel, it's tragic because a whole generation died in the desert and didn't enter into the promised land. And I think they're just their propensity to complain and to grumble was a massive part of that. And so we need to, we need to heed that warning, I think. You know, it says in the Bible that actually that Israel is it's like a, t- it's a type. It's, a, it's, it's a, a mirror almost of, of our salvation journey, us being set free. But it, it's written there to teach us and to warn us. Um, and so, listen, we need to be aware. It's easy sometimes to kind of read these stories in the Bible and kind of be like, well, I wouldn't do that. Um, but, you know, being in a desert, with nothing to eat or drink for three days. Like that is supremely challenging, right? You know, food and drink are very real needs. Actually being stranded in front of a sea in front of you with an angry army coming up behind you, like that's a real need. That's a really challenging situation. So I don't want, I don't think we should have the approach that we don't, um, we don't acknowledge that a current situation is difficult, is challenging. Like that's not it. I don't think it's that we, um, that we never, confront those things it's we never express or articulate um that things are difficult it's not that we shouldn't ever make a complaint it's not that we shouldn't send back a meal in a restaurant if it's not cooked like it's not that um because actually if you look at remember paul in acts chapter 16 which is the story of um when he first went to philippi he makes a complaint he actually says when he's um, thrown into jail without trial he says oi i'm a roman citizen like you actually can't do this so it's not that we don't ever present a complaint it's not that we don't acknowledge when things are difficult I'm not saying listen just bury your head in the sand and say you know I haven't had anything to drink for three days it's not a problem but it's what you do in the struggle it's what you do with it Um, so rather than grumble and complain and, and sort of find fault and question and second guess which keeps our eyes here rather than where God's promised he's taking us like what do we do um, and actually Paul in Philippians 4 some of the other stuff he says is 
is the antidote, if you like. If, if grumbling and complaining is not the answer, then some of the other stuff that he points us to, which we'll look at in subsequent weeks, you know, where he says, whatever is true, whatever is lovely, whatever is pure, think on those things in, in chapter four. Like, that's different to complaining, right? It's not don't acknowledge what's difficult, but also do think of what's good. You know, when he consistently all the way through Philippians is saying, hey, rejoice. I'm going to tell you again, rejoice, which means to take joy. Um, that is the antidote to grumbling and to complaining. He says again in Philippians 4, actually bring your requests to God. And if you're in the desert with no water for three days, bring that request to God. God, I'm thirsty. God, I need water. Lord, I need a job. Lord, I need healing. Lord, I need that relationship change. Whatever it is, bring your request to God, but don't grumble and complain. And he, you know, he's very clear. Again, this is in chapter, um, chapter 4, that actually we bring our request with thanksgiving. right? If, you know, if Israel had been able to continually remind themselves what God has done, thank God for having, after 400 years, released them from slavery. Like it was miraculous. If they'd have been able to have thanksgiving on their lips, first and foremost, rather than complaining and grumbling, I think that whole story, their whole journey could have been so different. Um, if we could keep confidence, like we looked at um, in chapter one, that actually our confidence is God is a good finisher and he will finish what he started, right? He who promised is faithful. You know, if they could have had that confidence, God, you promised that you were going to lead us out into a promised land. I don't know how that's going to look because there's a sea in front of us and an army behind us, but you've promised and you don't. They think God is a good finisher. He's not like Phil on a DIY project. He will finish what he starts. He doesn't make a promise and didn't lead Israel out into the desert and suddenly go, oh, food and drink. I didn't think of that. Right? He's able to finish what he'd started. So some of those things, to rejoice, to bring our request to God, to be thankful, to be confident in God, finishing what he started, fulfilling what he's promised, those are disciplined choices that we can make to move towards in a season where maybe there's struggle or difficulty. right? And it's a disciplined choice away from grumbling and complaining. It, it is a choice. It's a disciplined choice. It's not always an easy choice, but it is a choice. And it's about perspective. Right? I love this quote. Um, it's attributed to Abraham Lincoln. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. But he says this, we can complain because rose bushes have thorns or we can rejoice because thorn bushes have roses. Right? It is a matter of perspective and it is a matter of choice. It's not ignoring that there are thorns, but it's choosing to rejoice because there are roses. Right? So think about the things where I'm like, I was thinking this week, like what are the things where I, I know I can grumble and complain? Honestly, one of my most common ones is cooking tea. I hate having to come up with what are we, you know, classic, what are we having for tea tonight, mum? I don't know. Can't be bothered. Like I can, I can really gripe about that. Um, if I had endless finances, I would hire a private chef that would don't need anyone to clean. I'm happy to do my own ironing, but someone to plan and cook my meals. Yes, please. Right. But I can really complain about that. But actually, what about flipping that and saying, actually, I'm going to rejoice that I have a family to feed, right? That actually I have money to be able to buy food to feed my family, right? Many people don't have that. That actually there are choices. I, the very fact that I have to come up with something um, to, to plan, something to cook, is the fact that I have an endless choices, all sorts of different things that, that I could cook. 
You know, countless people around the world don't have any choice. You know, if they have something to eat, it's the same thing day after day after day. And that's not the same for us. So, so rather complaining, um, how about I flip that and say, thank you, God, that I have a family to feed, that I have finances to buy food, that I have options to buy food, um, and be thankful for that. It changes it completely. So what Paul is saying is, is that actually as we do everything, 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 even the things we don't want to do, that don't feel fair, that don't feel you know, very worthwhile, do everything without grumbling and arguing. What Paul is saying, listen, this is a really important way that we shine, that actually it is a, it is a really visible and important way um, that actually we shine like stars, that our salvation is worked out, that it looks like something that, that is noticeable to other people. So let's have a little look at... Um, Verses 14 to 16. So he says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that, right? So this is the out. So that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a, in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Now I used to, um, like, I think it needs careful consideration these verses because on initial reading, um, that phrase, you know, that we are, we are children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation, right? That sounds warped and crooked generation. That sounds quite sort of judgmental, right? Um, it, it feels a little superior. Um, but actually, it's in the NIV version, it puts it in, in speech marks. And actually, it's, it's the exact same phrase, a warped and crooked generation um, that Moses uses in Deuteronomy 32. He uses that phrase about Israel about that generation of Israel in the desert, um, warped and crooked generation who just complained, who lost sight of what God had done and forgot what he said he was going to do. Um, he, so it's, it kind of should spark our interest. Oh, okay, yeah, let's heed the warning from Israel. Um, but honestly, it's like, oh gosh, that, does that feel a bit judgmental? Does that feel a little bit, you know, it, to talk about a generation being warped and crooked? Um, but this, the word that's used there, crooked, um, is actually comes from the same... It's the same Greek word, well, um, scolio, which is where we would get our word scoliosis. If you know, that means a curvature of the spine. Um, now, Manchester folks, f forgive me. You may well have heard me talk about this before, but um, All Nations Church, you may want to know, I was a physio um, in the NHS for 15 plus years, um, working particularly with musculoskeletal patients. So, um, so that kind of gets, I, that pricks my ears up from a physio sense. Actually, a scolios generation, a crooked generation. Now, the thing with scoliosis, a curvature of the spine, is it's a problem not just because it's curved, but because of the effect that it has on the person, right? So when I was treating patients, you know, so sometimes patients would come to me and it would be you know, really obvious something sudden and traumatic had happened that had caused an injury and that's why they had pain. You know, so I had a lady who's, um, who dog, whose dog ran into her and broke her leg, which was unfortunate. I had another lady whose husband skied into her and um, tore both her cruciate ligaments and both her cartilages in both her knees in one hit. Um, but so there was like a very definite, this happened and therefore I have pain, right? But an awful lot of people who would come and see me, um, there wasn't any of that. They were like, nothing's changed. I've just started to get pain. And nine times out of 10, you know, just looking at them, the problem was one of alignment, right? So it was, it was postural. So it's actually the way that you're standing, the way that you're moving, it's not quite lined up right, okay? And so therefore, over time, your, your function gets limited um, and you start to get pain. It causes you a problem, right? So this is the understanding that actually, so this 
you know, scoliosis, so a curvature of the spine per se. The problem isn't that it's it's curved away from sort of the, the standard. It's the fact that it is painful, that it limits people's movement, that it prevents their function. Like the reason it matters is because it limits people, right? And this is our understanding of when, when Paul is saying this is, listen, when we're looking at a, you know, a generation, a crooked and warped generation, it's, it's acknowledging that actually God does have a standard, right? God has a standard for everything, for every part of our life, and his standard um, comes out of his goodness, right? So, so everything that he asks me to do is because he's good. Everything he says, no, not that, Sarah, is a, it's a manifestation of his goodness. Every restriction he puts in place, every boundary that he marks out for us comes out of his goodness, right? Not because he wants us to keep the standard because you know, he's obsessed with us keeping the rules, but because when we are curved away from his standard, it limits us, it hurts us, we, it's painful, our function is limited. And God's heart, we see it in Genesis 1, is that humanity would flourish and the standard is in order for us to flourish, right? The reason a curvature of the spine matters is because it's painful. The reason that, you know, for us as individuals or a culture or a generation that, you know, curving away from God's standard, the reason that matters is because it hurts us. His standard is good and it's for our good. And so, you know, the, actually this phrase, a warped and crooked generation, you know, if we're looking, Paul is saying, listen, you need to stand out. You need to shine like stars in a generation that's warped and crooked. Actually, it's not, it's not about criticism and judgment. It's actually about concern and compassion because it's like there's a generation that's hurting because they've deviated away from God's standard, which is good and is for our good, right? So, and this is the thing we need to take really seriously, that what Paul says is, we shine like stars amongst this generation that's warped and crooked, but we shine like stars, not by pointing to God's standard and saying, here are some rules over here, you need to keep them, right? That's not it. And we, we don't shine like stars at all by highlighting and pointing out and judging individuals or cultures or groups failure to meet God's standard, right? And, and pointing out where they're cur- like, that's not how we shine like stars. We shine like stars by living according to God's standard, right? Not by pointing to it as an external set of rules, not pointing the finger at people who aren't living that way, but by living according to God's standard ourselves, um, it's really, really important in every way of our life, um, in every aspect of our living, that actually we are committed to living to God's standard because when we live according to his standard, we flourish. Um, and we, sh- we, we flourish, so it's good for me, and we shine like stars, so it's visible, so it's good for people out there who actually need to know, who are in this you know, warped and crooked generation, who are hurting, who aren't flourishing. So what is our response? Like, what do we do with all of this? Right? I'm not aware there's two really big concepts in there. Um, but like, what do we do? Like, what is our response maybe? If like Israel, if you, if you think of that story, actually, if we find ourselves in a difficult part of the journey, we find ourselves in the middle, right? And, and actually, we're not where we feel like we want to be. And, and actually, there's delay, there's difficulty, there's struggle, there's like, like, what is our response? Is it to grumble and to complain and to second guess and to question God's goodness? And to, is that our response? And, and, or is it to point at other people? You know, so they, you know, really the Israelites, 
their grumbling was about God, but it was very much pointed at, at Moses, a leader. Why have you done this? Pointing the finger. Right? And maybe that's what we do, actually. You know, we blame other people or other situations. It's the politicians. It's my dad. It's this. Is that our response? Do we grumble? Do we complain? Um, even if it's actually in a situation where on, on a human level, actually complaining, we, we'd be justified. It would be understandable. Um, maybe that it feels much more natural, much easier to complain or to grumble. Um, listen, folks, the thing is, that's still not the call because Paul is very clear in everything, do everything without grumbling and complaining right? There's a very different standard that we are called to be aligned to. And just like, you know, my physio patients, when they're physically were out of alignment, you know, posturally not where it should be, things start hurting, things start going wrong. Um, and so actually, how can we make that disciplined choice in everything um, to, to move away from grumbling and complaining and move towards this different standard of rejoicing in everything, who, in bringing our requests to God, in, in keeping an absolute confidence in God is going to finish what he started. I don't know how. I don't know what that looks like, but I believe that he will. And, and reminding ourselves of what he has done in the past. You know, I think that's so often you see in the Old Testament, this, this reminder, tell your children, remind yourselves what God has done. Tell your children and your children of the miracles that God has done. Remind yourself because in the moment, in the struggle, in the lack, it's so easy to forget. So we need to keep coming back to this is what God has done. This is his hand on my life in the past. And this is his voice towards my future. And, and so I'm going to stand firm. I'm not going to get caught in the middle and I kind of bogged down with grumbling and complaining. I'm going to keep moving forward. And because it, it is for our good, it is that we would flourish. And it is a visible demonstration to a world outside there that there's a good God who has good plans. So I'm going to finish. I'm just going to read... Um, I'm going to read a couple of those verses, 14 to 16, from the message translation, um, just as we close. So it says this, do everything readily and cheerfully. No bickering, no second guessing allowed. Go out into the world uncorrupted, a breath of fresh air in this squalid and polluted society. Provide people with a glimpse of good living and of the living God. Let's pray. God, we want to thank you that you are a good God. Um, and that you have good plans for us. God, we want to thank you for our salvation. Um, and God, we want to be a people who um, are constantly committed to working that out. So Father, I pray that you would help us, help those of us who, um, who find it so easy um, to kind of get dragged into grumbling and to complaining. Father, help us to live a different way. Help us to move away from that and to be a people who trust you, who thank you, who rejoice, who pray faithfully. Help us to, to set our minds on what you've done and what you've promised that you're going to do. And Father, that we would navigate that journey well. Um, and Father, we just pray that in every area of our lives that we would be fully aligned to you. Holy Spirit, show each one of us if there's any place in our lives where, where things have become crooked, where our, our posture isn't quite aligned with what you say and what you want. Father, would you, um, yeah, Holy Spirit, we just invite you to convict us of those things um, and say we want to we straighten up. God, we want to live according to your standard. We believe it is for our good and it's for a declaration of your goodness to a world who needs to know your goodness. Um, so God, we thank you for that. Thank you that you're a good God. Thank you for your kindness towards us. Um, 
And yeah, we just, I just pray for every person listening. God, help them to shine like stars, whatever situation they find themselves in, and that they would shine like stars and their lives would, would point to a good God who has good plans and, and journeys with us in all the highs and in all the lows. So we thank you, God. And we ask these things for your name, Jesus, and from a place of allegiance to you, Jesus. Amen.